Samson. The mere mention of his name, of this biblical character, captures our imagination. His story is so famous that even outside the church, many people are familiar with at least part of his story, his incredible strength, his long hair, and his downfall with Delilah. Well, today we're going to look at the rise and fall of Samson as part of a series that I'm calling Five Great Stories of the Bible. Five Great Stories of the Bible. Scripture is filled with wonderful stories and is itself one grand drama of redemption. But we're going to focus on five great stories. And we might be familiar with these stories, but I really hope to flesh them out and also to help us see how these stories fit within the broader scope of Scripture. Any passage of Scripture, we should always try to see how does this fit with the whole story of Scripture. And then just some very practical application, what these stories mean for our lives today. And as we come to December 19th, right toward Christmas, we're going to conclude with our fifth story, which will be the birth of Christ. So let me invite you uh, to turn to Judges chapter 13, Judges chapter 13, found in the Old Testament. I encourage you to follow along through the message, not going to kind of go verse by verse, but just give a broad overview of these four chapters that cover the life of Samson, the life of Samson. While you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of background of this story. You might say, well, where does this begin? What, what time frame is this in the timeline of Scripture? Well, this occurs during what is called the era of the judges. And this is after Israel inherited the promised land and they divided the land up into their 12 tribes. And for hundreds of years, they existed in this kind of loose confederation. And this time period ran from 1375 all the way to about 1050 B.C., so a really long stretch. And this was before the monarchy came into place when Saul, David, and Solomon, and so forth, came into power. Now, in general, this era of the judges was characterized by a cycle of idolatry, and then consequently, God would allow the Israelites to experience judgment for their idolatry from these various neighbors, and there was constant warfare that was taking place. Israel would cry out to God, and he would send them deliverers. They were known as judges. Now, we should think of these deliverers, not uh, these judges, not like a judicial sense, but more like a military hero. And these judges, they never really gathered the whole nation together like the king, but they were these localized areas where a judge, a deliverer, would rise up and bring kind of temporary uh, deliverance for the people of Israel. But overall, these days were very spiritually dark for Israel. They were really mired in sin, idolatry, and turmoil. And the book of Judges closes with these very sober but familiar and famous words. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. 
everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, people were doing what they wanted to do in their eyes, not what God wanted them to do. They were following their ways, not the ways of the Lord. So this characterized the entire Judges period. Everybody there with me now in Judges chapter 13? The first part is the rise of Samson, the rise of Samson. So at this time uh, of the Judges period, they were under the control of the Philistines, a longtime enemy of the Israelites. And the spotlight is shifts here in Judges 13 to the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Dan. And within the tribe of Dan, there was a man named Manoah and his wife, who's, who remains unnamed in the story. Then there appears this mysterious figure who is called the angel of the Lord. Now, the angel of the Lord is a fascinating character. Some people think that it's the pre-incarnate Jesus because he only appears in the Old Testament and this angel does not appear in the New Testament. And in some cases, people think it's a manifestation of God himself. Whatever the exact understanding is, we'll leave that aside for, for the moment. But this angel was a very special, very unique angel, and he appears to Manoah's wife. And he informs her that though she was barren, she would conceive a son. Now, there are several stories in Scripture that kind of have that similar pattern, but what was going to be unique about this case is that this, this son was going to be raised as a Nazarite. Nazarite. You say, what is that? Well, in the book of Numbers, we find a regulation there. It was called the Nazarite vow. If a person wanted to kind of dedicate themselves to God for a season, they would take a Nazarite vow and they would uh, give a vow of not doing three things. They would not drink alcohol, they would not touch a carcass, and they would not cut their hair. And this would be kind of a voluntary thing for a season of special dedication to God. However, with Samson, he was supposed to live his whole life this way, under the Nazarite vow, not just a season. So he was to abstain from alcohol, he was not to touch a carcass, and he was not to cut his hair. Keep that in mind as the story unfolds, right? But there's a reason that God was going to use Samson. In verse 5, it says, the angel says to them, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. God was about to use Samson to begin to bring deliverance to Israel from the Philistines. And I really need to make this point clear at the outset Israel was in very serious danger at this time in their existence. They were ensnared in idolatry. Their very existence was really precarious for the future. They're under the control of the, Phil uh, the Philistines, and they're very content in living that way. That's perhaps the scariest part is that earlier in the judges' period, when they were oppressed, they would cry out to God for deliverance. Now they've reached a point where they're not crying out anymore. 
They're completely fine just assimilating with the Philistines and no doubt the idolatry that surrounds them. And so things are getting worse. Things are dangerous for the nation of Israel at this point. God had chosen them to be a special people, to be a witness to the world, and they were failing in this calling. And we know that the hope of the Messiah was going to come from where? From Israel, right? So I think you could say in a very real sense, the plan of redemption was hanging in the balance. God needed Israel to wake up out of its lethargy and cast off the political and the military control of the Philistines and more importantly to start seeking God. The nation had, was sinking into spiritual oblivion and they were fine with it, but God was not fine with it. And so he's about to shake them. Now, going back to our story, the wife tells her husband about her encounter. He prayed that the angel would return. Later, the angel returns and repeats this earlier command. The wife conceives, gives birth to a son, and names him Samson. Now, his name in Hebrew literally means little son, S-U-N. Scholars don't really know exactly what that's supposed to mean, but that's what his name meant, little son. It says at the end of chapter 13 that he grows up and the Lord blesses him. So at this point in his life, he seems to be keeping that Nazarite vow that he was under. That was the rise of Samson. Now as we come to chapter 14, the second part is the fall of Samson. The fall of Samson. So in chapter 14, Samson goes to a city named Timnah. There he sees a Philistine girl, and he wants to marry her. He tells his parents his desire. They encourage him that he should marry a Jewish girl, knowing that the Philistine woman might lead him into idolatry. It was not wrong in the Old Testament to marry a Gentile as long as the Gentile was seeking the Lord. But there's no indication of that here, right? Moreover, the Philistines were oppressing his people, so it was kind of a double no-no, right? Samson married her, if you look down at verse 3, because it says there that she was, quote, right in his eyes. She was right in his eyes. I think it's safe to say that he thought she was beautiful, but there's more going on than just her outward appearance. He, the writer there is using those words to let us know that Samson was about doing his own thing not following what the Lord wanted for him. He wanted to marry this woman despite what it said in the Old Testament. He wanted to do what he wanted to do because he was characteristic and kind of a microcosm of Israel as a whole. Like Samson, Israel was called to be separate, to live out God's calling for their lives. So here you see the first step of Samson's downfall. And if I could... Just as a footnote here, a word of advice for parents. You see here in Samson's case, the actions of his parents are worth pointing out. Where they went along with Samson's desire, though it went against the will of God. Parents, you do not do your children any favor 
by allowing them to pursue sinful desires. We should always try to point them and use the parental authority that God has given to you to steer them to follow the Lord. It's not helping them to allow them to pursue a path of ungodliness. Amen? And we're going to see that wholeheartedly with Samson's decisions here. Now, as Samson, skip down a little bit further, Samson's traveling to Timnah, a lion attacks him comes out of nowhere and attacks him. Now, when a lion attacks a person, you absolutely have no chance, unless you are a clown. You know why a clown has a chance? Because when a lion attacks a clown, (laughs) he will spit him out because he tastes funny. You have my permission to use that at Thanksgiving meal there. It will get everybody in a great laughter, right? Or cause indigestion. (laughs) You won't have a chance against a lion, even if you're a clown. I did a little reading about lions. They are something else. What a creature. All right, so a lion is about eight times stronger than a human being. Their claws are as long as your fingers, and they eat about 18 pounds of meat a day. So, what a creature. But in this case, that's about 70 hamburgers, in case you're keeping score at home. (laughs) That's a lot of meat. But in this case, this lion comes out to Samson, and Samson easily kills him. How on earth could this happen? Well, it says in verse 7, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. So the Holy Spirit empowered Samson. Now, in the Old Testament, we got to keep all of this in mind here. The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon certain people for certain kind of callings that they had. The Holy Spirit came upon prophets and kings and so forth. And here we see how he comes upon Samson. Samson and only Samson, don't get your hopes up, you know, you guys who want to be strong and so forth. Don't get your hopes up. Samson and only Samson is given this kind of supernatural strength. And it's not just a circus sideshow. It is for a reason to bring deliverance to the people of Israel. Now, now in the New Covenant, this should be seen as kind of distinct. We all have been given the Holy Spirit to indwell us, not for the kind of things perhaps that you see there in the Old Testament. But the point is, is that it was the Spirit who gave Samson this strength, not necessarily his own powers, okay? Sometimes people wonder, what was Samson? What did he look like, right? Did he look like a regular guy, or was he built like the Incredible Hulk? Now, I don't know. There's no way that anybody can know. But my guess would be, was he probably looked like a regular guy, Because it was the Holy Spirit who gave him the strength, not his bulging biceps or whatever. Now in verse 8, Samson, later he walks past the lion's carcass and he noticed that some bees had made a hive with honey. Now 
they lived in a different day and age than you and I do. We have sugar all around us. But for them, honey was a real treat. But remember, according to the Nazarite vow, he was not supposed to touch a carcass. So would Samson resist the temptation? No, he doesn't. He reaches down and he scoops out some honey. That was Samson's second step in his downfall. And he even takes some of the honey and takes it back to his parents and never tells them that, which he should have done. Finally, the day comes for the big wedding for, the, for Samson and the Philistine woman. Samson's father, his father throws a feast, and 30 companions are brought to Samson. Now, the companions come from the Philistines. These are not good buddies of Samson. I think it's probably wiser to see them as more like bodyguards rather than best friends hanging out with Samson. Perhaps they knew that Samson had incredible strength. Not, they didn't know it all yet, but they perhaps had heard some stories, and they wanted to keep an eye on this guy. Well, during the wedding, Samson surely drank wine during the feast and broke his vow. The writer uses a Hebrew word for feast that describes a drinking party. This was the third step in Samson's downfall. And his drinking led to even further problems. You could safely say that Samson crashes his own wedding. You say, what happened? Well, more than likely, while he was drinking, he got drunk and he poses this impossible riddle for the guests there. And there's a wager attached to it. If they can't uh, guess it correctly, then they have to give him 30 linen garments and a change of clothes. And they need to answer the riddle by the end of the week-long feast. Likewise, if they guess it, Samson will have to give them the same reward. Now, in case you're wondering, the riddle is found in verse 14 of chapter 14. The riddle is, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Samson's riddle was something that they could never guess because he had never told anybody about his experience with the lion, right? And so after three days, they're really getting frustrated because they can't guess the riddle. And so they go to Samson's wife and they threaten her. Look, lady, either get the riddle out of Samson or we're going to kill you and your family. Things were getting serious. So she presses Samson hard. And finally, he tells her the answer. In verse 18, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion? And so the Philistines then gladly burst Samson's bubble in front of everybody, explain the riddle, and he's humiliated. But again, the Lord, the Spirit, rushes upon Samson to empower him to deliver his people from the Philistines. The Lord is trying to shake Israel at this time. And so the Spirit comes upon uh, Samson. He goes down, as it says in the text there, to Ashkelon, which is about 20 miles away. He kills 30 Philistines, probably soldiers. Commentator Dan Block says about the Hebrew word for garments, quote, 
it denotes the equipment stripped from a slain man, particularly the belt from which weapons and, and tools were hung. So after Samson kills these soldiers, he comes back to the wedding and he leaves the, the, the battle garments there and says, there you go. Samson storms off, goes back to his parents' home, and the woman's father, his wife, is given to one of the 30 companions. As I said, he crashed his own party, his own wedding. Now in verse, excuse me, in Judges 15, the conflict between Samson and the Philistines just escalates even further. Samson comes back to Timnah, and he wants to see his wife. And so he brings a young goat. Now before you laugh at what Samson does there, uh, from what I read, this is kind of like the ancient equivalent of coming with a box of chocolates, okay? <laughs> he, he was trying to win her back. But the wife's father tells him that he gave her to one of the companions because he thought Samson hated her. Remember, Samson left and he went back. Some think this was like a month or two later when Samson returned. At this news, though, Samson becomes outraged. To avenge himself, he captures 300 foxes and he ties them by the tail. Now, the Hebrew word for fox can be translated as fox or jackals, the, the dogs that live in that area. Probably wiser to think it is jackals because they kind of would live together in packs and would have made it easier for Samson to catch that many. So he catches all of them, ties them together, their tails, and then he puts a torch between them and then he releases them out into the grain fields. Obviously what he's trying to do there is to destroy their grain fields. Philistia was known for their grain. And so this wasn't just kind of like a, a cheap little middle school trick, okay, that got a laugh. This was like wiping out their economy, okay? Samson became a huge threat to them. And so they, in turn, are outraged. They go and they kill Samson's wife and his, her family. Things continue to escalate. Samson responds by going and attacking the Philistines. And then he flees. And then the Philistines send troops to Israel because they want Samson. 3,000 men from the tribe of Judah go to Samson and they say, look, we want you to turn yourself in to the Philistines. Their actions show the sad condition of the nation of Israel. They were delivering their deliverer. Do you see? Instead of saying, hey, Samson, lead us into battle. You have been chosen by God to lead us into this battle. They are handing him over to the enemy. As I said, Judges is just a sad episode here in the Old Testament. Samson agrees and is handed over to the Philistines. The Philistines see him bound up and they rush toward him. They couldn't wait to get their hands on Samson. But as this happens, for the third time, the Holy Spirit comes upon Samson. He breaks the bonds, and then he picks up the fresh jawbone of a donkey. Again, an important detail there. He wasn't supposed to touch what? A corpse. But he does. And he slays the Philistines. After the victory, Samson gives who all the credit? Himself. 
He says in verse 16, if you're following along down there, he says, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. So after this incredible victory, though, Samson grows thirsty, very thirsty. And for the first time, he cries out to God. First time that we see this from him. And he recognizes that it was Samson who gave him the victory. Now we come to Judges 16, the final chapter of Samson's life. And the chapter opens with Samson going to Gaza here in uh, Philistine territory. And he visits a prostitute. He engages in sexual morality. And he continues to fraternize with the Philistines who were oppressing his people. The Philistines catch word about this. They set up an ambush around his house. This shows that he, again, was a national enemy. They couldn't wait to take this guy out. Well, meanwhile, Samson comes out and he grabs the gates of the city and picks picks them up and takes them away. That's making an exit, isn't it? And he doesn't just take them across like the plain to a hill. Hebron, the city he takes it to, is almost 40 miles away. God gave this man incredible strength, but we see how he squanders it. After this, in verse 4, we meet the famous Delilah, another Philistine woman. She lives in the valley of Sorek. The text does not indicate that she was a prostitute like the previous episode. But we do read that the lords of the Philistines approach her and they seek to bribe her. You need to know that the Philistine kingdom had five major cities. And each of those cities had a lord who was in charge of that city. So these five lords come to Delilah and they say, Look, if you can get this man to tell what his strength is from, we will pay you handsomely. They are willing to pay her, each of them, 1,100 pieces of silver. This was an exorbitant amount of money. I mean, just she would have been filthy rich the rest of her life. And so she takes the offer. And so she asks Samson, where does your great strength lie? Again, it makes me think that he did not have huge bulging muscles, right? She wanted to know, where did your strength come from? So Samson plays along. Three times he gives her a false answer and allows her to try to, you know, subdue him. First he comes along and he says, well, you know what? If you bound me with seven fresh bowstrings, then I'd be just like a normal person. Just so you know, once again, Samson was violating his Nazarite vow because these fresh bowstrings came from animals, freshly killed. But that didn't work for Delilah. He was playing with her. Then he says, you know what? If you bound me with new ropes that have not been used, then my strength would be normal. Again, fails. Then the third time, he says, if you weave my hair into a web and tighten it with a pen, then I'll just be a normal person. Again, it fails. But you guys need to notice he's getting closer, isn't he? He talks about his hair. He's playing with fire, isn't he? She grows very upset that he wouldn't tell her. It says in verse 16, when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. 
Finally, he caves in, just as he did with his first wife, and he tells her. It says there in verse 17, he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. For if I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb, if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Samson tells his secret. Delilah then causes him to fall asleep with her, him on her knees in perfect position to cut the hair. And while he, he's asleep, she calls for a Philistine there who's hiding in the house, and he comes and he shaves off his hair. Sadly, it says there she tormented him. She tormented him. She hated him. Sometimes this gets portrayed as kind of like a love story between Samson and Delilah. This was no love story. She was an agent of the enemy, and she completely suckered Samson. Now Samson's strength was gone. Remember, the strength was not in the hair, but in the Nazarite vow. And until this point in the story, he had at least tried to maintain that aspect of it. But once he had allowed that and broken the vow, God left him. God was the source of his strength, and God kind of went along with it for this long series of time. But then finally, enough was enough. enough. The Spirit of God left Samson, and now the Philistines, they seized him. They come in. They gouge out his eyes. They put him in prison. And at this point, all hope seems to be lost for a mighty deliverance. But at the very end there, it talks about his hair started growing back. And presumably, he was not puffed up with pride anymore. And he was starting to trust the Lord more and more. The story closes where we come across this great Philistine festival, great sacrifice, about 3,000 people. The celebration is, is, is initiated by these lords of the Philistines, the ones who got Samson, you know, bound up and defeated and so now they throw this great party. And like the rest of Israel's neighbors, the Philistines were polytheists. They had all kinds of gods that they worshipped. But they were throwing a celebration there, apparently in the temple of Dagon, who was their god of agriculture. Remember, Samson had wiped out all their grain before. And now they're celebrating because they feel like Dagon has given us Samson and they can't wait. And so they're celebrating and they're celebrating. And then they ask, hey, let's bring Samson out and we all can laugh at him and mock him. And they do. And then while Samson's there, they ask him, or he, he asked the attendant, if he could rest his hands on the two pillars of the temple. And archaeology has, has affirmed that these, pill, these temples would have like two beams pretty close together that would hold up the whole structure. And so Samson asked God for strength at this moment. And he pushes these pillars apart and causes the temple to collapse. Samson dies in the collapse. His family retrieves his body and buries him in the tomb of his father. And Samson's great and final act is probably why he's mentioned in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11 when they catalog different heroes of the faith at this last moment when Samson relied on the Lord and brought a great deliverance. 
Our passage closes by noting how Samson judged Israel for 20 years. He was the last of the 12 judges. God began Israel's deliverance. You might wonder, you know, what would Samson have done if he actually followed the Lord? But God used this imperfect, very imperfect man, but their full deliverance waited in the future, about a century later, with King David. Next week, we're going to explore the second great Bible story, David and Goliath. So the rise and fall of Samson. Wow, what a story. Why, you see a lot of movies made about this story. As we close, though, I want to bring home three points of practical application for us. The first that I want us to see is the sovereignty of God. Throughout the story of Samson, in the midst of all the stuff that we read about, God is driving forward his plan. Samson would never have been interested in delivering the nation of Israel. He was too worried about his own pursuits. But God brought this plan together to get him off of the sidelines, so to speak, and to bring about at least this partial deliverance of the nation of Israel. The Israelites, they themselves were incredibly apathetic. They weren't concerned. They were drifting away into idolatry. But God and his sovereignty was not done with his plan of redemption. Amen? He was bringing about, even in the midst of this incredible darkness, God is sovereign over all things. He is sovereign even in the dark times, the period of the judges. He is sovereign in our day and age. Just because things seem to be out of control, God is sovereign over all things. That should be firmly etched in a believer's heart. He is sovereign over all things. And he uses rebellious people like Samson. You might wonder, God, why did you use Samson instead of maybe his brother, the guy down the street who might have been a little more virtuous? It's a great question. And we may never know in this lifetime, but God is sovereign and he has a billion reasons why he does things that you and I do not know. Because we're little tiny peons. But God is sovereign over all things. And we need to trust that. And I hope it's a means of encouragement to hear this story. That God is sovereign. Do not look at our world and think, is God in control? God is absolutely in control. And it hopefully, hopefully is also an encouragement that God's sovereignty means that he has a plan for your life. He wants to use you for his glory, for your good, and for the benefit of others. We need to embrace that and to live as faithfully as possible. And that leads to the second point, fighting temptation. Fighting temptation. Samson's downfall was step by step. Did you notice that? It, It didn't just happen all at once. It was a gradual progression. He wants to marry the Philistine woman, and then he kind of slowly breaks all the components of the Nazarite vow. He also engages in this sexual morality and so forth. Church, you need to recognize the danger of temptation and a slow drift away from God. A web of lies that you found yourself entangled in begins with one lie. An adulterous affair that you find yourself in 
begins with that intentional flirtatious comment. Or looking at pornography. Rebellion against your parents starts with small choices, dealing with chores, right? Doing your homework, a bad relationship, house rules. You need to take seriously the danger of temptation. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us to ask God that he would lead us what? Away from temptation. On a daily, if not regular, if not daily basis, we should be confessing our sins and asking the Lord to lead us away from temptation. Because you and I are not strong enough on our own. So let me ask you, how are you doing with temptation right now? Are you asking the Lord to lead you away? Are you seeking his word to remind us of what the will of God is for our lives so that we're not just doing what is right in our own eyes? Are you dabbling in sin, doing what you know you should not do? Are you excusing it for whatever reason? Like Samson, are you doing what is right in your eyes rather than the eyes of the Lord? You know, perhaps God is allowing you to experience some negative consequences for that sin that you're going down that path with. Can I just encourage you to wise up and to start seeking the Lord now before it gets worse and worse and worse, as we saw with Samson? Resolve to make some changes today. And be encouraged. When we come clean with God, He always embraces us with open arms. And he is more than glad to continue to draw us to himself and to use us. Even Samson, despite all of his failings, his many failings, at the end, God still used this man. And he will do the same for you and I. He is a God of second chances. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. And then lastly, the need for a sinless deliverer. Samson was set apart to deliver Israel from the Philistines. As we said, he was unique in his physical strength that he had. God used him to begin this process of deliverance in the nation of Israel. But the greatest battle that they were facing was a spiritual battle, wasn't it? Their own sinfulness, their own drift toward idolatry and rebellion and so forth. Samson, as I said, he's a picture of the nation of Israel that did not live up to its calling because of sin. Likewise, our greatest enemy is sin. The Bible says we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We need a sinless deliverer. This is where Jesus steps in. Unlike Samson, unlike any other character, unlike any of us, the Bible says that Jesus was sinless. In his humanity, he perfectly obeyed the will of God. 1 John 3, 5 says, You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And Jesus, church, he accomplished a deliverance. Not a physical deliverance like the enemies of the Philistines and so forth, but a much greater deliverance, a much greater enemy, a de- an enemy that decimated Samson, that was decimating the nation of Israel, that decimates the world, the oppression of sin. And the fact that we are sitting under the wrath of God because of our sin. And on the cross, Jesus took our place. He allowed himself 
to be delivered over to his enemies and to go to the cross and to take our place so that you and I could be forgiven of the sins that you and I have committed and to escape from the wrath of God. Let me just ask you, have you ever realized your own sin, been broken over it, genuinely broken and contrite over your sin and ask Christ to deliver you? That's the question of questions. Have you embraced Christ as your sinless deliverer who gives peace with God and the promise of eternal life? He will deliver you and he will give you a new heart and mind that wants to love our great God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our sinless deliverer. God, we pray that you would work in each heart and mind that as every person leaves this building today, they would have an assurance, Lord, that they know you, that they have trusted Christ to forgive their sins, to deliver them from the wrath of God, and to have a peace with you that will last forever. We thank you for the promise of eternal life that Jesus offers. Thank you that he is the fulfillment of all these things that we find in the Old Testament of different men and women who uh, fall short in various ways, all pointing to a great Savior and Deliverer, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We pray that it would be a mirror to our hearts today. We pray that we would respond to however your Spirit is leading us that, Lord, we would hear the story of Samson, the rise and fall of Samson, and apply it deeply to our hearts. God, pray that you would give assurance and calm, Lord, to know that you are sovereign over all things. Even some of these dark and uh, dismal stories that we find about uh, the history of Israel and people falling short, God, how you were weaving your drama and plan of redemption through it all come to the hope of the gospel. And Lord, I pray for each one of us today that we would have a new resolve to fight temptation, to see the effects and the consequences it brings in our lives and the lives of others. Lead us away from temptation, Lord, we ask it, and to deliver us from the evil one. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.